I'm Aaron Broadus, and you're listening to the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. Join me as I talk shop with some of Maine's most influential and passionate fly fishing folks about our diverse fisheries that make Maine such a special place to cast a fly. In this episode of the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast, I'll be talking with Greg Labonte to learn about his fly fishing background and discuss his new venture, Maine Fly Guys. We'll be discussing fishery management and trout stocking in the state of Maine. We'll also talk about fly tying, the influence of social media on the fly fishing industry, and Greg will give us some tips about proper fish handling. Welcome back to another episode of the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm pumped to be meeting with Greg Labonte, and we have some great topics to talk about today. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks for having me, Aaron. So let's start off just talking about uh, like where you're raised. Well, I was uh, born and raised here in Maine, grew up in Lewiston, uh, grew up there, went to you know local high school, had a good childhood, fished with my dad, you know, worm and bobber type stuff uh, on small streams, and then uh, went to UMaine, uh, basically thought I wanted to be a physicist, that didn't turn out very well. I actually got a 1-0 in my first semester, so that didn't turn out too What does good. a physicist do? Uh, you know, to this day, I really have no idea. Yeah, I don't so, either. No, I don't either. So, <laughs> um, after, after that, I went into the ecology field, which kind of sparked my fly fishing stuff. We'll get into that a little little more. But Sure. Um, so, my mom and dad, both main raised. My brother, he lives out in Oregon now. He, uh, he works for Nike, and uh, that's a good connection for for going out and fishing the west coast absolutely yeah so that'll be kind of a yearly thing maybe every other year does he have kids he's got two kids charlie and corinne they're the best niece and nephew i could ever ever ask for i saw some stuff on your main fly guys page yeah they're they're just they're uh my brother doesn't fly fish really at all um but he's sort of i'd say a hippie he's an outdoor hippie for sure so his kids really like you know, the outdoors and kind of stuff like that, being outside and going out and trying new things out there. So Sounds yeah. like a good dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> phenomenal. So, um, but yeah, so I, uh, I work here in Biddeford uh, at the University of New England. I am an assistant lecturer teaching biology, ecology, evolution, cellular, and molecular biology. It sounds... Smart, but it's really not. It's, Sounds intense. It's not intense. It's not. Yeah. I'm not nearly as smart as people <laughs> think I am, for sure. I don't know so, if I can spell all those words. Yeah, it's it's uh, it can be a little hectic at times, you know. But uh, but it's it's really not as impressive. The college kids are not as smart as you would think, sure. for sure. You know, yeah. we were there not too long ago, so yeah. you know. I mean, you know. I, I take on some student interns sometimes, and it's, you're, yes. I, I remember those days. Yes, there, so, so, yeah, you know, you think you know it all, but you really don't, so. Yep. So, yeah. That's a great gig, though. Yeah, it's fantastic. It really uh, facilitates my fly fishing addiction, yep. you know, because summers are off, Yep. You get a lot of time off during the semester. you got breaks. You know, weekends the, are pretty free. It's a dream job it's, for an it, educator. Yes, for sure. It's absolutely a dream job. I mean, I'm incredibly lucky to even be in the position. Yep. You know, it just kind of fell into my lap. And so I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that. For what sure. did you want to do? I wanted to be a fish biologist. Nice. And that's what I did all my schooling for. You know, I was a wildlife ecology major with a minor in fisheries. And then I... Uh, got my master's in 
fisheries. And so I wanted to be a fish biologist for the mm-hmm. state. And I interviewed for a few jobs, didn't get them. And I picked up this teaching gig and um, I really fell in love with it. You know, I fell in love with it. And basically, I realized that I, I didn't want to become a fish biologist. I just really liked to fish. Yeah. And that was a distinction that I luckily made early on and didn't fall into sort of this trap, which a lot, I know, you know, a couple of fish biologists that fall into that trap. None, none in Maine that I know, but a few elsewhere that they've been doing these, this fisheries work for five, 10 years. And they realize that I don't really like doing it. People think that a fish biologist works with fish all the time and yeah. it, it's, it's a negligible part of their job. It's less than 1% of their job. Most of it is writing, taking notes, doing statistics, and writing some more. Sure. You know, that's what it is. So yeah. um, I couldn't be happier with the job I'm doing now. I wouldn't trade it. It's awesome. For anything. You know, it's awesome. I, I hope, hopefully I'm there forever. Yeah, it's a great school. That's where I got my teaching certification from. And yeah, UNE is, UNE is great. Uh, it's fantastic. If you want to get into the sciences, UNE, you, you you can't beat it. You really nice. can't. Compared to my education in Orono, it's I mean, it's just head and shoulders better. It's I mean, it's 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 weird. You know, they're both colleges, but it's just the academics there are they're hard to beat. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you think they're sure. gonna pay us for a little plug here or something? Or? Uh, maybe. Maybe they'll give me a little raise <laughs> for that. You know. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah. So nice. So yeah. Uh, we know you love to fly fish, but what do you like to do outside of fly fishing? Um. I'm a pretend athlete on yep. the weekends. I do men's leagues and stuff like that. Nice. Softball, basketball, golf, you know, those kinds of things. So I was a, you know, wannabe athlete in the, in my previous years. But, yep. uh, so that, that's takes up a good chunk of my time as well. Uh, hunting, obviously camping, that kind of thing, canoeing, you know, that kind of regular main, main stuff I'm into as well. But, um, but yeah, I would say sports is really the second most consuming hobby yeah. that I have. But fly fishing takes up so much time. To say that it's second is... It's hard, man. Probably putting it higher than it really should. Well, it's hard be. when you have a lot of passions, right? Yes, yes. You know, and like, <laughs> I'd like to do more woodworking. I used yep. to make cribbage boards and like, I don't do that anymore because I <laughs> tie so many flies now. So like... Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's tough. You have you have to pick. You have to you pick. Gotta balance, man. You have to balance for sure. Cause... I mean, most people that are going to listen to this probably think that they they love fly fishing and they love golf, but right. they had to give one of the two up. Yes, yes, for sure. And these right. guys listening probably had to give up golf. They probably had to give up golf. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't given up golf. I probably play more golf than uh, than I should, to nice. be honest. But uh, but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad gig. That's hard in Maine because, you know, you got all winter where you can't really play golf. You yeah, can't really fly no, fish too much. No, so no. Well, you're really balancing the short months. Yeah. Ice fishing, I guess, takes by. Oh, God. Like, ice fishing's great. I yeah. like to do it and it's fun and stuff, but it doesn't even hold a candle. Some people probably get mad at me for saying that. It doesn't even hold a candle to fly fishing. It's not even close. So it's... it's. I agree. It's a poor man's substitute for fly fishing, in my <laughs> opinion. So, <laughs> but... But yeah, some so. people like to go out there and drink all day. Yeah, see, and I am not. I no. I take it too seriously to to drink and to like yeah, relax. Man. I get you it. You know what I mean? So, I get it. Yeah. I don't drink a lot when fly fishing, hardly ever. It's usually right. night of. Yes, right, you know? exactly. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. 
Yeah. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so what sports did you play? Well, I played baseball, basketball, and golf in high school. Yep. And, uh, you know, I went to St. Dom's in Auburn and, uh, we were really good in baseball and I've continued that in men's slow pitch. So, which is nice. just a bunch of glorified <laughs> high school baseball. <laughs> oh, I know. Players, I used to play. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I do a lot of that. Golf is really my best sport goal for sure. So I take a lot of money from my friends. Nice. Who don't really know how good I am. I don't belong to a, you know, I don't have a membership or anything, but, yeah. um, you do a little sandbagging. Yeah, I definitely uh, do I haven't a played, sandbag, I haven't played right? in a while. Uh, you know, I've only played a couple <laughs> rounds this year and, you know, I go and shoot 73 oh, or something. It. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's awesome. It's not bad, but yeah, those were the sports and, you know, in college and now we still, you know, intramurals, if somebody asked me to play on a team, I'll jump on sure. and stuff, but, but you know, I only get so much time. So yeah, gotta, man, that's gotta, a lot to balance there. Yeah. Got to pick and choose. Some should feel bad for me, you know, like got to pick and choose fly fishing, what sports I want to play, you know, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's not a bad life. I'm no, I'm, I'm doing it. Okay. I personally don't feel bad for you because <laughs> I don't have time for 80% of those things anymore. So I don't blame you. You have kids yeah. that all changes. Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Family situation. Family situation. I live with my girlfriend, Donna, and she is great. We've been dating for almost six years now. I have a cat named Trout. Nice. He is... <laughs> kind of a pain so Donna and I have a hopefully a, a long foreseeable future going forward she nice. probably would want me to say hey you should <laughs> put a ring on my finger right about now but but um yeah she's fantastic she puts up with me which is half the battle you know so if so you can find somebody who puts up with you and you're you know mm-hmm. who you are then that I mean that's that's half the battle right there. So she's fantastic. So well said. No kids or anything right now, but um, you know, one day I would I would like that. I would, cool. I would certainly like that. That's the best thing, man. Yeah. Just yeah. be able. I mean, my kids are so little. I haven't shared fly fishing with them yet, but I can't wait. Yeah. Right. It's gonna be so cool. All right. It's gonna be a special. Yeah. Moment. They're gonna like it, whether they <laughs> they like it or not. They're gonna end up liking it. So. Uh, that's good. Just shove it down their throats. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, let's uh let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Maine Fly Guys. So, so, sure. so like, what is it? Who are Maine Fly Guys? Okay, so Maine Fly Guys are is, is me and my brother. Now, my brother's more on the logistic business end. Um, I'm all the fly fishing content. So sure. every all the content that you've ever seen regarding Maine Fly Guys is all me. Um, basically, what we are is just a group to one project what Maine has to offer as well as promoting fisheries education conservation and community and those are our three big things and so through you know videos and giveaways and talks and podcasts and things like that we are hoping to promote sort of what we know um, you know what I know through education Mm-hmm. conservation options and uh you know community we're just hoping to push that yep. and Maine is so diverse in what it has to offer we feel and I know you feel the same way mm-hmm. not enough people are expressing it to the world there just yeah. isn't there just isn't enough people expressing no, it no they don't really know about it right and so even the people within Maine 
they're so scattered. You know, you have a little group here, a little group there. And what Maine Fly Guys wants to do is sort of give an opportunity for everyone to come together and feel comfortable, you know, talking fly fishing on our platform, whether that's on our Instagram page or Facebook or sure. we're launching a website soon. So whatever that is, like just ha- giving an opportunity for people to, one, be a part of something and to have, you know, an ability to to share their voice. So that that's sort of what we're about. Um, but I'd say our number one goal is to push fisheries education. Yeah. I think that that's really lacking in the state of Maine. Sure. Like tremendously. And like one of my, one of my things has always been, you need to take a course for driving and for hunting and for, you know, for bow hunting. Like you need to take all these courses. Why are we not promoting fisheries education? Right. In some way, shape or form. We, you know, oh, like, I, I agree with you, man. I'm, how many times you've been on a river and you've seen somebody killing a fish because right. they just didn't know how to handle it, or they were using, you know, spin gear or something like worms on a fly fishing only stream. Yeah, and, and it gets stuck way down the throat and they end yeah. up killing the trout for and sure. It's like, and a that's lot, frustrating. A lot, and it's it's very frustrating. And, and so, they don't even know that's the thing. They miss the little sign on the tree, right? Exactly. And and they just walk down the river and think, oh, I'm gonna catch some fish. Right. And ignorance is not a reason for me to get ex- you know upset at the person. So. I don't blame that person as much as I blame the people who have the opportunity to educate. That's a great point. And I now, like Maine Fly Guys has a fairly decent following. Our name is out there a little bit. We have the opportunity to promote certain educational uh, educational aspects of fly fishing and what right. we've been doing, like fish handling, like you know proper catch and release practices, stuff like that. So that's what we've been doing and that's what we hope to continue to do. We have no currently and for the foreseeable f- uh, future we have no aspirations to profit whatsoever cool that's not that's awesome. it's not on our radar right now yeah maybe in like 10 years 15 years when you know whatever maybe we want to take a different turn but for now we have no aspirations for yeah. making any type of money it's just not in our it's not in our scope it's not in our view. It's really just not. In yeah, you're just doing it out of approach. passion. You love right. it. You yeah. want to share it. I, I totally get that. And yeah. I mean, that's a big reason for my podcast. You know, that's, yeah. I just want to share stuff. And right. what I like about your, like, you know, following you on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff, like you push all different types of fish. Like you're not, so many people are all about fly fishing. It's always about trout, 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 or trout and salmon. And we have like crazy good smallmouth fishing here. Right. And like we have pike. I know you just started doing some musky fishing and stuff, so yeah. that's, that's oh, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, musky. You're, you're you're hooked, aren't you? Oh yeah, musky's <laughs> musky's a different beast, that's for sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. There's you know yeah people get so I don't know they get so enclosed in these bubbles, and sometimes they just need another voice to help get them out of that bubble. Sure. And that's just what we want to do because I I am not in any type of bubble i see all the fish that maine has to offer and all our conservation possibilities and i just want other people to share you know in those possibilities and see what's out there and yep give them an opportunity to uh, to see that my my personal bubble is that i'm just fly fishing and i don't think Mm -hmm. if there wasn't this group of people out there that were fly fishing for stripers Right. Like I would have never, ever gone striper fishing. Like I'm, I'm okay. I don't really want to go through the big surf casting rod, do that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just feel like it's so cool that so many people are targeting all these different fish in Maine with fly rods. It's yeah. pretty cool. And, like, the striper community is so unique in Maine. It's it is. Such a, it's such a <laughs> weird sort of social experiment going on with stripers. And, like, each bit of knowledge is so secretive, you know. And it's right. really all the same. Like, just throw a bait fish pattern out there in maybe some current, you know, or on a ledge or on a beach. Like, it's... It's really not that difficult, but since there are so few of us that, you know, people that fish for stripers a lot, that they feel like it's this secure, secret, you know, almost cult-like cool. group. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. interesting. So when you see another striper fly fisherman out there, you really, you give them the look like, how's it going, brother? You right. know, like, hey, you know, right. I we understand each other. That's you know? funny. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I enjoy it a lot. Do you yeah. see a lot of surf casters when you're out there? Yes, all the time. Yep. You know, there's definitely way more rod and reel people than fly, you know, fly fishermen, and yep. um, and that's great. Like I don't, you know, I I couldn't care less who fishes for what or what style you fish. Yep. I don't care. There's no better or worse. I wrote a blog about the rift between fly anglers and rod and reel people, and like, why does it even exist? Like, I don't. There is a rift. It's undeniable. There's some like. Rod and reel people look at fly anglers as, like, these, you know, prestigious, think they're better than everyone else. For yep. whatever reason. Right. I don't, I, I'm not like that. Right. You're not like that. No. You know? Like, I'm, I'm your average guy, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, right? And so, <laughs> and then, you know, fly anglers look at rod and reel people like idiots who don't know how to handle a fish. You right. know, and they're killing everything. And that, right. that's not true. I know plenty of rod and reel guys and, and girls who are just fine. They're, they're right. better than most of the fly fishermen. And they just love to fish. Right. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, so I, I don't know. So I think, I, it's the, I think it's the whole keep versus kill thing too, where people yeah. feel like, you know, spin, spin people are always about killing fish. Right. For and sure. then the, uh, you know, you could almost go politics with it in a way. Yes. yes. <laughs> you could almost go Republicans, Democrats, for sure. Yes, for sure. which I don't want to get into at all. No, I don't either. No, but it's like, you have, you have these two kind <laughs> of just mantras with that. And it's like, yes, it's, it's funny because when I first started fly fishing, I always thought, you know, fly fishing where people with money, people with nice gear, nice vest, and Same. people with spin fish just had, you know, the worms and the beer there mm-hmm. down by the honey hole. And then I started really meeting some Mainers yes. who were fly fishermen yep. who I'm like, hold on, that guy looks like right. a prototypical spin yep. guy. Like he likes to drink beer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's going to dunk some worms, yep. you know. And it's, you know. But he's not. He loves the fly rod. I see fly guys throwing a San Juan worm all the time. It's great. And I'm like, you know, you can't look down on anyone. No. You know, like, and you shouldn't. No. Rightfully, rightfully not. You shouldn't. You know, no. so, so yeah. So the whole community in Maine is super great. And Maine fly guys, you know, we're focused on fly fishermen and fly, you know, fly uh, anglers and that sort of bubble. But again, I get a bunch of rod and reel people reaching out all the time. Cool. And I love that. I don't care. You know, I just, my passion is in fly fishing. So that's sort of where my, my, uh, you know, main fly guys has sort of driven to, but rod and real people, that's where I started. You know, that's what yeah. I did. I did that till I was 18 years old. You talked to most fly fishermen and they all, right, almost everyone, all started. Right. So it's yeah. like, you know, so I don't, I don't care, whatever. Unless fishing. if your dad was a fly fisherman, there's right. no way you started no, as a fly fisherman. No way. Right? No way. It didn't work that way. Fly fishing is way too hard and frustrating to right. do as a you know eight year old. Like yep. it's so hard, you know. So yeah, I think a lot of guys get away from that too, though. It's like you don't remember those days when you just like to go out yes. there and put a little, yep. you know, 
you know, hula popper on and catch some largemouth. Right. Like, yeah. put a hurting on some bass. You yeah, know? like go catch a hundred <laughs> fish in a day. You know, awesome. like you know, it's like we're all out here for the same thing, right? You know, so ultimately, cool. You know, otherwise, we wouldn't be out here. So yeah, I, I think meeting fly guys is great for everybody because you're not just talking about fly stuffing, like fly fishing stuff. You're talking about really like educating people about fish. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely cool. Um, what are, let's talk a little bit, you do some writing, so like blog and some, you got some recent article stuff? I do. Um, so I've been blogging on Kevin McKay's website, mainflyfish.com, and mm-hmm. I have a bunch of blogs out on there. Um, I just recently got published in American Angler, um, which is like the fifth biggest fly fishing magazine sure. in America or something like that. I've it's, seen it. If you weren't a fly fisherman, you'd never see that, though. Yeah, but. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a good... I'm, I'm a pretty heavy skeptic as far as reading. Nice. Was, I'm extremely skeptical. Um, and a big critic of sort of writing level. An American angler I really have enjoyed. And nice. so Did you I, reach out to them? Yes, yes. So cool. I reached out to them and said, Hey, I have this really cool article that I've written, and I kind of want to go to you guys first. I went to them. I went to a couple other magazines too. And they reached out first and said, hey, we love this piece and we'd love to put it in our January, February edition. And I said, sweet, count me in. And awesome. we did some editing awesome. with their uh, with their editor. And uh, it's great. And the piece is coming out in January, February. So so cool. It's, it's, yeah, it's been fantastic. I like to write. I write a lot. So the fact that I can write about fly fishing is just a plus on top of everything else. So. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I've seen your blogs and I've I've you know, it's funny I've like searched main fly guy stuff on the internet and just especially leading up to this interview and mm-hmm. like you don't have a website. You just kind of run off YouTube and off of social media. Yeah, so it's been an interesting I don't know. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just a, a guy. I'm just a guy. Yeah. That, that just true. was like, "Hey, let's do this." You know what I mean? I didn't right. have a plan or anything and so Yeah. I uh I'm just kind of running with it and wherever it goes the Instagram has really taken off for us and it's doing really well and we have a pretty decent sized following and YouTube's doing great. And so we're hoping to get a more structured website to funnel this information to make it, you know, to just facilitate the process for, for people who want the content, you know? And so, you know, that's, that's just what we're trying to do. So the blogging has been great. And just to get to like, know my personality a little bit and see what main fly guys is about and like blogging the way that i've taken it is i just want to talk about the hot topics so to speak i have yet to really dive into the more um, traditional stuff like you know gear selection fly selection I, yeah. i've yet techniques to, right yeah like, techni- there's so much yeah. out there about that yeah, stuff yeah there's a lot out there. which is great and yeah it's it's good stuff it's, it's necessary stuff and i get probably the number one question i get is what flies should I use or or what rod should I get? And so that the need for that technical information is out there in abundance. So that even though there's a ton of it on the web, there's always, you know, a greater need for it. But those answers to those questions are so specific too. Yes. Very specific. (laughs) So it's there's a bunch of rods, a bunch of flies. Right. It's like, what rod should I get for brookies? (laughs) You know, in a, you know, a big river, you right. know, and it's like, well, there's, you know, I guess even can get even more specific. Are you nymphing? Are you dry flying? Whatever. Absolutely. So, you can. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I've, I've had a few other articles published. Like I had one in the Bangor Daily News that got a lot of, um, 
a lot of hype, I guess. It was about fly fishing, whether or not it's dying in Maine. And like, yeah, is my that. generation, you know, are we sort of to blame for it? What's to blame for it? Because it is, it's kind of, I don't know. There's a lot of fake fly fishermen, I would say, or fake yeah. fly anglers, I would say. I read say. an article on that, uh, about that today, just how the fly fishing industry seems to be pumped up by all these big fish pictures on social media and people, some people seem to just be fishing just to kind of yes show those things. Right. And, and so, yeah, so it's, you but know, what do you do? Do you just not like people love to post, right? I like know, they love they, to share their stuff. They almost, it's the issue is, and like, I'm, I'm thankful that I started pre the big boom of social media, I guess, yeah. because my interests are rooted in fly fishing, right. not in sharing my fly fishing experiences, which if you were, you know, getting into it three years ago, two years ago, now, four, five years ago, even, the main outlet was Instagram, yep. Facebook, you know, whatever, YouTube. And so just that's how you were brought up into it. That's how your mind is now wired. It's like, hey, I've done this cool thing, which I appreciate. Now I need to share it. Right. And when I, you know, when I started and when I was getting into it, it was like, I've done this really cool thing. I need to appreciate it. I don't need to share it. I need to appreciate the moment right now. Right. And that's something that I think is lost upon the newer generation. Well, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because mm-hmm. even older guys are posting them, right? Yes. And it's like, you're like, I want to share this, mm-hmm. but you don't. You never want to share too much. Like, right. you don't want to share your spots. Yes. You right. don't want to share your secrets. Which, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like, guys end up doing that sometimes yes. just it's to, inevitable. like, show a picture, yeah, right? it's inevitable. And the it's fact so is hard. that we all, like, we all want to be loved so much. It's true. I mean, it, it's, it's the strongest emotion yep. in humans. And so... When you post a picture and you get, you know, 500 likes on it, it just, it's giving you sort of positive reinforcement that, hey, what you're doing is good. Right. And that's creating, it's the same neural network as a drug. It's the same neural network as a drug. So it's the positive feedback loop. So you take the drug, you feel good, your body wants it again. Right. You post a picture, you have a good reaction to it. Your body wants it again. It's it's the same thing as a drug. It's the same, literally, it's the same exact neural network. So, you know, I don't think social media is bad, and I know we're going to get into that in a little bit. I don't think it's bad, but I think that there are a few rotten apples amongst the bunch that people see it, and you're like, and how do you address it? That's the thing. Are you, like, who are you to go out and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing this? You know, it makes you look, you know, it makes you look stupid yeah. and, and, and like who, what pedestal am I standing on? But I think that the way to combat that, because I think we all agree that it's not the best for the sport is, is sort of trophy hunting, if you will. Yeah. I mean, everybody posts the big fish picture. Right. No one posts the, the skunk days. Yes. No one posts the little, the smallest fish, you know, but then mm-hmm. now you even have people doing that to kind of be like, you know, Hey, there's like, it's just right. different, right? Yeah. Like I'm yeah. doing something different now. Right. Like right. look at me, look at I'm me. posting my skunk day, yeah. you know? And I think the way to combat that is education. Yep. I really do. And that's why, that's like the first thing that I want to push. It's like, you don't need to you don't need to sort out the glorification of it. Yeah. That's not something you just, if you want to post, feel free, post every day. Like I post every day, but I don't post based on what other people want to see. 
I just right. post based on what I want to push. Yep. And that's what you should do. And the fact is that if you just want to push big fish, you should probably look at your motives behind what you're doing. And right. Really self-reflect. Like, is that benefiting the fish? Because that's what's giving you such a joy is truthfully the, the fish are ultimately giving you that joy is doing whatever it takes to catch that big fish benefiting the fish right. and that's what people i think lose is am i doing these things for myself or you know at the cost of the fishery am i right. doing these things at the cost of the fishery if you are doing those things then you really should take a look yeah i mean we we have consider. places in maine that can't take that type of pressure sometimes yes, yes. and like Again, I feel like I have a double-edged sword because I guide some of those places. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like I try my best when I'm taking a, you know, I'm taking a picture of a client with a fish or even myself. Mm-hmm. I try to just make it look like I don't like you don't know where I'm at, but right. sometimes that's so hard to do in yeah. the moment. And, and then it's like, do I post that or not? And you yes. kind of get this. And I think this thing. You I know? think now it's like spot burning is such a antiquated aspect of fly fishing, just because like I don't know any like my secret spots yeah people know about them sure you know? and yeah. it's like so people yeah. get so upset about spot burning and it's like think about it you only know where that spot is because you know where that spot is so it's not spot burning <laughs> right because you already know the location and you won't know that location sure unless you know where it is so spot burning is interesting because the only way to burn a spot is to put some sort of landmark where it's notifiable to you know a degree uh, for someone who's never been there. Right. So if you do that, then I'd say okay, you might want to, you know, you might want to back off a little bit because you know there are spots where it's like you know hey this is you know I probably can't take that. Well, extra touch and go. Picture. Some of those fisheries, yeah. man. I mean, right. we, we know some of the stuff about some of our rivers and like. You know, like they've done studies on the Rapid River, right? Like there's yes. like a hundred, maybe less, like big brook trout in that river yeah. that they find in spawning time every year. And yeah. It's like, can that river take all that pressure? Right. You know, with yeah. the other things going on with it, and it's mm-hmm. it's hard because we don't want to contribute to that anymore. Yes. And we know there's there's factors that we can't control, like right. all the smallmouth, right, right. and that right. stuff. So, and it's like, so when I when I see spot burning, it's like, oh, I know where that tree is. I'm like, okay, that's not spot burning, like. Right. You know that area. You know where it is. Right. It's not spot burning because you know it. Sure. Right? But when I see something like you can see a major road in the back or you can see like a major building or I don't know, like a major mountain group or something, then I say, okay, maybe you could just crop that out. But like for the most part, you know, yeah, right. But like, (laughs) you know, so the whole. It's funny though. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but there is, I'm okay with it. I mean, I think it's helpful, yeah. Especially for promoting education. Like without it, I can't. I can't hate on it because without it, I wouldn't be able to promote education. Sure. And you know, I, I could, but I wouldn't be reaching that audience. You know, you, I, you can go to those spots too. Mm-hmm. And if you're brand new to a spot, I mean, you might have a little luck the first time there, but you're not usually going to hammer them. Right. I mean, of course not. There, there's, <laughs> there's more. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but a. Uh, an angler said, I don't care who fishes my spots because they can't fish it like me. Yeah. And that, like, 100%, you're right, you know. I've been I've been fishing the West Branch to the Penobscot for over, you know, a decade. It's yep. like, no matter how much you know where I am, 
I'm doing things that you just have no idea how to do. Exactly. Done in for ten. And they're years. unconventional. It's not like you're doing the standard, you right, know, right. dry fly with the eighteen inch dropper and right. fishing the West Branch Caddis with the West Branch Caddis merger. Exactly. Like you're doing some other stuff, right. man. And right. that's why you're having more success. Exactly. You know? So, and that comes with time. It's not like you know, people. What people, what stinks about it is like people want that immediate gratification, and that's that's what I think is the one of the negatives about social media and this stuff is like sure they see people fishing and catching big fish and people are swarming to it and talking about it and it's that instant gratification uh-huh. and so they go out and fish and you know the first i don't know three years i fished the west branch i didn't yep. catch a salmon that was like of good size you know like i caught salmon but not nothing like wow, that's incredible yeah. because yeah. I stunk, you know, I wasn't that good, you know? Yeah. And so you have the experience, right. I didn't know what to do. Like, you know, right. so <laughs> now it's we've all been there. Right. We've, everyone. So it's like fly fishing is one of those things that takes so much time to not even master, but just to be okay at, you it know, does. it takes so much time just to be okay. Yeah. And so, People ask me all the time, what fly do I use? Where do I go? And it's like, I could tell you this, but it's not going to help you, you know? And it's like, what you need to do is go out and just try different stuff. Get out there, enjoy it. Half the, I mean, half the time I go out, I don't fish all that much. I sit there and I watch and you, that's how I became a a good fly fisherman is because I sit down and I watch a lot. Right. And you learn so much stuff, you know, you learn what's going on, you learn how, you know, how fish are behaving. And that's one thing that I find is huge is fish behavior. And so, yeah. So anyway, so, so social media is, you know, I know what you're saying. I I totally get it. And like, I've, I've been on some rivers and some super popular pools that probably 30 plus people will fish in that pool a day. Mm -hmm. And I can remember vividly like two years ago. Um, this guy who I just see bouncing around some of those different rivers in Western Maine. And, uh, there was a bunch of guys fishing this pool and I was fishing across from them that day. And I was just, I was eating lunch. Like I was just taking my time and just kind of watching people. People are striking out. They just swinging streamers in mid August. Like they're just striking out. I probably watched six guys go and maybe catch like a fish or two, just a little pinner salmon or something like that. Yeah. And then I see this guy show up who I see all the time and he comes down to the pool, same spot they're fishing and stuff, and it's like fish after fish after fish yeah. after fish. And I yeah. just, I just kind of had to chuckle to myself, and I like tip my hat at him, and I was like, "Good for you, man. <laughs> good for you. Yeah, good for you." The other thing is, he also didn't know that there was probably ten people there in the last two hours right. who didn't catch right. anything. Yeah, and he was making it look like it was just yeah. easy, but yeah. he's put in that time, yes. you know. And exactly, he knows. it's not about one fly either, right? Nope. Like you can catch ten different trout on ten different. Yep. Uh, flies right same with bass and whatever absolutely and that i i love that and what i've i've what i've learned through my time and through i used to do a lot of electro fishing for internships yep and what i learned through electro fishing was that fish are everywhere there is no spot in a river where at least one fish is not holding if you're in the right time you know so if you're if you're in may or you know mid-may and you go to the Rangeley region, yeah. there is a fish in every single hole. Right. I promise you that. Oh, yeah. I know because yeah. I shocked them up. So, like, I know <laughs> that there's a fish. And where we did a lot of shocking on uh, the Penobscot up in the Orono area, and 
there was so many bass that it was hard to even fathom how many bass there were yep. in an area. And I know that I've gone to those spots and fished and not caught anything. Sure. And it's like, well, they're bass. You know, like, what am I, you know, you know there must be none here. And yeah. it's like, no, the fish are always there. Right. And that is one thing that really through my education and through my years of fishing that I have come to understand it. It's not the fish. It's you. It's yep. it's you, big time. <laughs> you, ever, <laughs> you are doing something wrong. <laughs> have you ever seen that uh, out west as a fly shop and they have a they have a little bumper sticker and they it says it's not the fly you suck. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I love no, it. I've seen it. That's good. <laughs> it cracks good. me up. Yeah, it's true though. It's so true. Like, yeah. How many yeah. times do you think people walk away? They don't catch any fish. They walk away from a spot and they go, oh, "There's no fish here." People do that all the time, right? Almost everyone I know. Yep. And even me, yep. even... I'm sure we're both guilty of yes. it. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, yep. I'm still guilty of it today. Yep. I'm like, there can't be any fish here. You know, yep. and it's like, no, there there are fish there. You just, you're just... And it's like, there's a reason, you know, the old saying, there's a reason it's called fishing and not catching because right. it can be hard at times, especially Absolutely. on the fly, you know, they're so they can get picky, especially when they get hammered like that in those yep. popular holes. It's like, they can get, they can get picky, so... Nice. Yeah. Um, so, one thing that... One thing that I kind of wanted to talk about with the show is just something I just I don't know a lot about it, and I know you didn't like work for them, but you've done you've done obviously some internship stuff and you were passionate about it. And oh yeah, I'm kind of curious to learn like, and I know I won't get everything from you on this, but I and I'm sure. planning on like interviewing like biologists and some people actually work for the state. Yeah, nice. Um, like I'm just kind of curious about to learn more like how our fisheries are managed in Maine and kind of like what role Maine Department of Fish and Wildlife has when it comes to, like, actually, like, promoting fishing and, like, preserving fishing here in Maine? Like, do they push mm-hmm. – are they just pushing certain species? Like, mm-hmm. do they promote things that they don't stock? You know, stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, so, as a precursor, I did fisheries work for seven years, um, whether that was through internships or my research um, – yeah, so for about seven years, I did fisheries work. And I worked with IFNW many, many times, you know, yep. doing a whole bunch of stuff. I, I worked up in uh, Ashland area on St. Freud Lake for like three years and did a lot of trap netting, salmon, brook trout, lake trout, lake whitefish, and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've done a lot um, and talked with a lot of biologists and know some now. I have friends who are biologists now. And, you know, as far as fishing and promoting goes the economy in Maine is you know not great it's pretty poor in terms of fishing in in terms of just economy as a whole yeah I mean it's poor yeah it is fishing is a big part of that it's a huge part of it especially in small which is like 99% of Maine small communities right where you know these small corner stores that have fishing gear are making $20,000 a year off this fishing gear. And that's not a lot of money, but to them, that's half their salary for the year. Sure. You know? So yeah. the state is, if you were to ask a biologist, close doors, nobody would ever know, is there things that you would change about the way you manage the waters? They would say absolutely yes. Yeah. But the fact is that they're handcuffed. They have to consider the economic factor behind fishing in Maine. You right. have to. And that comes not from their Cause, own... Because those license fees, right, are yes, paying their huge, salaries, yes, it's paying huge. for right. stocking. So let's say, right, let's say there were no fish, they would lose jobs. Right. So the matter of the fact is that they need to focus on having 
fishable fisheries, mm-hmm. which is an interesting concept. It means that you're putting the, the angler first ahead of the fish. All fish biologists, I don't know any, including myself, would rather have the fish before the human. Sure. Every single one of them. Yeah, because you don't you don't go into that business without having a sincere passion for the fish. So mm-hmm. when they're making these decisions about how our fisheries are managed, deep down inside, they kind of want to do it a different way, but they have to keep in mind, hey, how am I going to maximize the fisheries economic value at the same time? You know, and it's, it's unfortunate to a degree, but at the same time, it keeps our, you know, our sport going. Yep. And so it's, you're, you're sacrificing maybe some fisheries that you wish were done a little differently to promote maybe more of a natural fishery or something like that. But at the same time, you're keeping the younger generations interested. Yep. You're keeping local economies going, which, you know, is, is part of fisheries whether or not you want to accept that is you know that's your own personal belief but it's part of it and so i if you're just asking me setting all that stuff aside i had to say that before i make my my oh it's so hard because i'm on i'm on the i'm on both sides if like i'm definitely on both sides of this this whole like we're talking kind of stalking fish right and like yeah that that and yeah i am i am adamantly against the way that fisheries are managed but that's just from my own personal opinion and that's disregarding the economic factor sure if you bring that in then again now i'm teetering the fence yeah but if it was a perfect world and there were there was no money and there was no importance on fishing Mm -hmm. which Part of me thinks there shouldn't be, but I would say I'm very against it. There's a lot of the stocking programs are crazy. Yeah, you're not just talking Maine. You're talking other states. Everywhere. I mean, everywhere. It's just insane. Well, the number of fish too, right? Number. So I am doing some research right now on the stocking programs, and I'm missing seven states right now. I'm missing seven states, and a few of them are big players in the fishing world, Mm -hmm. I would say, um, right now. So what I did was I went into all the fishery databases and pulled out all of the fish that were stocked last year that are greater than five inches. So what I call them is catchable trout. Sure. So that's what I did. So I'm missing seven states still. So I have 43. Wow. Half. That's impressive. (laughs) Half a billion fish. Yeah. 500 million fish. Over five inches were stocked last year in only 43 states. Wow. That's Just think crazy. about the biomass. Yep. Right? So now we're well, what's talking... What's Maine's number? Six million? Something like that? Maine's is 1.2, 1.1 for five inches. If you include... So I'll give you, um, I'll give you a, a, a sort of a teaser. It's like if you take, if you take the number less than five inches... The number of fish stocked is like almost 1,000 times, Holy 500 God. million. That's crazy. It's almost a hard number to even, crazy. it's hard number to even fathom. Yeah. So basically, for me, like, I'm just amazed at how much fish um, are put into our waters, you know? So I'll give you here. So Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma. I would say that they're not a 
big factor in the fishing world. No, is this trout stocking or is it? This is all fish. So all fish stocking. I mean, yes, they're big for like. I don't even know if they have any natural lakes. Sure. I don't know if they do or not. I'm sure that they probably have a few, but not many. It's not big in the Midwest, no. So they stocked two hundred thousand fish greater than five inches last year. All right. Most of them are bluegill, bass, catfish. Under five inches, they stocked fifteen point five million. Oh my gosh! It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. So, the way that our and the thing is like these numbers are really hard to get. Yeah. I've been having a really difficult time getting this and putting it together, but I think it will shed a lot of light on how fisheries are managed. Yeah. They're not managed at all. They're stocked fisheries. That's it. Right. There's no managing done there. Right. You, you put fish in. You put a certain amount in and you take them out. And my issue with Maine in the way that we manage things is we're what I like to call a reactive fishery. We put fish in and then the biologists react to what happens. Then they either put a little more fish in yeah. or they take some out. They have no funding for preemptive studies. And basically preemptive studies allow you to at least have an educated guess on what's going to happen. They have no Yes, each river system is unique. You know, they're all different. They're all different. Yeah, you can't pres- you can't compare the Presumpsky to the uh, like Upper Andrew. No, absolutely not. Like you can't totally even you places. can't even compare the you know the Rapid to the McGalloway. You can't. You, you can't. No. They're different systems, they're and different. so we are a reactive fishery. We put fish somewhere, or we set a regulation somewhere, and then we sit back, and then we take data, yep. right? And then we see, oh, okay, this is doing good. This is doing bad. Let's change it. That's worked very poorly for us in Maine. And right. Uh, Sebago. I mean, look at Sebago. Sebago is the, the you know, the pinnacle of, of examples. You're talking about the lake trout. Oh, it's just it's horrendous. You know, yeah. the lake trout are all skinny. The salmon are, you know, down in size comparative to what they were before sure. the lake trout. You know, it just... Well, it's too much competition for food, right? right? exactly, yeah. Do you, do you ever think, and I, I was thinking about this recently because um, I know you and I have been talking some stocking stuff on mm-hmm. mainflyfish.com and all that, and... Um, do you ever think that all those little tiny fish they're putting in there, like they know they're not going to grow, right? Or, or they've done their studies. Are those like little tiny fish going in there to feed the bigger fish that they're stocking? <laughs> <laughs> like are they just like, all right, listen, here's your fish. Now let's dump in all the food. Yeah, that's interesting. It. I never really thought about that. <laughs> that's the way I think of it sometimes. What is um? Yeah. What's what a two-inch fish going to do? Yes, you know? I, yeah, I, I agree. What is interesting is the cost. Right. And if – so just – Think about that 500 million fish, right? Yep. Put in five inches. How much does it cost to get greater than five inches? You know, and the answer, I don't have the exact number. I'm working on it right now, but it's a lot higher than you think it is. I'm sure. And so. I've heard stuff about steelhead where it can be like up to like over $100. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars of fish. Per yeah. fish. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. I'm sure it's not that high. No, like in Maine for, right, the for like stocking, a brook trout, like a 12-inch brook trout, yeah. But the, the answer, so when I was doing my research, I was keeping alewife in a tank yep. and doing um, doing a study with them in a tank, and I had to feed them. And almost half of my budget was going to feeding them wow. because the feed is so expensive. Sure. It's got to be protein-rich, and it's very, you know, it has to be very unique for the species. Yep. It can't be, it's not like one universal food that you can just give to a fish. And like, they want to grow these brook trout and salmon as fast as they can just to get them out there for people to catch. And that in itself is causing problems. So it's like the money, the reactiveness of, of the fishery, and just the lack of funding for studies. Because again, yeah. if you ask these guys, hey, would you like to do a study, you know, looking at 
how, uh, you know, how year classes ebb and flow over five years in the rapid. Would you like to look at that? Every fish biologist in the state would jump on that in a second. Of course. They would love that. Yeah. Look at mortality rates. Look at all these, but they don't have the money. They don't have the manpower. They don't, you know, they don't really have. Well, like the tagging aspect. I've learned, I learned in a thing last year how expensive it is to tag them with those, like the transmitter tags. Yep. That's super expensive. But even just doing it the other way is very time consuming. And it's like, what, two bucks a tag or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty cheap for that. But those electric ones, the the transmitter ones are like a couple hundred. A couple hundred. Yeah. And the whole system is five, ten, fifteen. See, see, what I've always wondered is like, why don't they, why don't they put, you know, 200 fish into Mm -hmm. the Brzezomskit River, tag them and see what happens to them, right? And it's like, I think we know what happens to them. Right. And I think that we just want to... I think they just want to kind of keep that hidden from people yep. because it's kind of sad. Oh, yeah. Well, but they, at the end of the day, they do encourage put and take for all that stuff. Yes, and they know? did... Um, they Which did, I love. They did a study, I think it was on the Saco, to see brown trout uh, retention rate mm-hmm. for year class to year class from stocking classes. And it was, like, incredibly low. Right. Which is no surprise. I think everyone knew that. I think Francis Brodaham was the, was the head uh, biologist on that. But he... Um, yeah, and what they show is we all knew it. You know, some of them hold over a very, very small percentage, like 10%, maybe less. Yeah. And that's just fisheries. Because the habitat's not there for them, right? No, it's not. They don't right. have the spawning grounds. They don't have no. the, like, food source they really yeah. need and mm-hmm. the, the oxygen in the water. I mean, our rivers yeah. get hot, man. Hot. Especially People think of Maine and they're like, oh, it's nice and cold right. up there. Well, no, it's not. You and I have been in the sump in July. Oh, dude, yeah. Right? Sump in July. It's degrees. like bath water, you know? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. No fish there. The fisheries are, you know, I could talk about a lot of them and say how disgusted I am with some of them, but the truth is that they are handcuffed. You yeah. Know, they, they really are. And when I remember, so I was lucky enough to sit down with Commissioner Woodcock for uh, back in 2000 and I think 13 or 12, and three of us sat down with him. We all had questions, you know, lined up and ready to go. Sure. And I had fisheries questions. I was the only real fish guy in my class. And so I had all these fish questions and none of them got answered. Because one, he's a he was a great politician, but two, the answers were not gonna I was not gonna be happy with them, you know, because they were gonna be economic based. And that's I was like young and bright eyed and, you know, hey, save the fish, you know, but that's I I now know that's not really how it works. So sure. you know, is there room for improvement? Yes. I just, by improving it, I think that you're going to make anglers upset. Yeah. Because you're going to need time. And so you're going to need a three to five year lull. And by improving, you're talking about, they probably have to improve habitat, right? Like Habitat, you need to improve spawning grounds, you need to improve water quality, you need to improve uh, habitat connection. So like a lot of brook trout and salmon... You know, the connection between the lake and the rivers is not ideal. Right. Because of either old dams, houses, construction, yeah. whatever it is, it's not ideal. So you really need to fix that. That's a huge part of it. Right. But we can't, that's the thing in the state too, is like you can't take out all these dams because there are houses, yes. there are houses on those reservoirs above. People love to recreate boat. Like yeah. the, the fly fishermen of the world or the people like speaking up for the fish are so small in number so compared small. to everybody so else. And the money's not there. 
A lot of the you know? issues, a, a huge issue is pitched culverts. That's a huge issue. Interesting. Basically, smelts run up. So, like, in, I mean a lot. So, if you're driving down the back roads of Maine, mm-hmm. you'll see that there are a lot of culverts, like hundreds of thousands of culverts in yep. Maine, that connect these small feeder streams um, into the lakes. And basically what a pitched culvert is, is a culvert that is slightly above where the water is actually flowing. So there's almost like a mini waterfall. And it could just be an inch, right. a half an inch, two inches. You know, It could be a really small pitch. Smelts that use these feeder streams to spawn can't get up a pitched culvert. And so what it does is it really shrinks the habitat for the smelts. Yeah. And or where they can uh, where they can spawn. And so in turn, less smelts survive. Right. Which in turn they're not spawning. Right. Which in turn lowers the food source for the brook trout and the salmon and the lake trout. Sure. You know, all these uh all our prized fish that we're we're looking for. So a lot of lakes, people think that, you know, to fix it, you need to fix the brook trout. You need to stock more. And that's almost never the case. Right. The answer is elsewhere in the food web. Right. It, it's like... They it's, need something to eat. They need something to eat. Sure. Or maybe there's not enough insect. Maybe the water quality is bad and there's algal blooms and the mayflies can't hatch like they're supposed to. Right. So boom, you miss out that food source. That's a crucial food source for... Young growing brook trout in age one year class, they miss out on that growth spurt. They're not as big in age two as they normally are. It's like little little things like that are usually the answer. And biologists could figure that out, no problem. Like that's that's what we do. That's what us scientists do. We sure. figure out little problems like that. That's what yep. we're good at. But without the funding, without the resources, without the public approval to shut a fishery down for three years, you'll never figure it out because you don't have that opportunity. So instead, what we do is we supplement those fisheries with 513 brook trout that live one year and people are happy and they catch the fish and they're like, I caught some today, I didn't catch some the next day, whatever, you know, whatever. And guys love to take them home. Right, yeah. My mother likes a good brook trout here and there. Right, yeah. It's common, right? You know, my grandmother loves it. Yeah, so it's like, and that's fine. And so that has what has really kept Maine fisheries going is little things like that. Yep. It's not a long-term fix. Uh, what it is is a year-to-year fix. You're going to have to do that every single year. And I know that deep down inside, biologists are a little, they don't like it. You know, They don't like it. So Maine right. fisheries, the stocking program, can you poke a lot of holes in it? Yes, you can yep. poke a ton of holes in it. We talked earlier the... The moosum, you know, the mouseum and the, the andro in yep. Lisbon, brook trout are being dumped in and just, but you're basically hand-feeding stripers and pike. I mean, that's you're what essentially, I feel like, You're yeah. essentially yeah. hand-feeding yeah. stripers. But that's my point. If you're going to, if like, if you go to Lisbon, right, and you mm-hmm. throw in a bunch of brook trout, there's a ton of pike, right? There's, oh, there, there's a bull launcher there, right? There's a ton of pike. They're just sitting there. Yeah. So you're like... Listen, state. If you're gonna do that, <laughs> like, then go ahead and promote pike fishing too. Yes. You know, like yes. let's let's let let's let that get out here. Like, if that's your objective, great. And I think obviously their objective is like they they've been doing that for years, right? They've been yeah. stalking that same spot, yeah. and there yeah. are guys who go down there and they they catch a few brook trout and they're happy. But that may be changing as the fisheries change. Like, there's more pike. Absolutely. So it's like. Can the state kind of get away from just doing what they've been doing every year, hitting the repeat button on the stocking? They should part of it. You they know? should, and like that, reevaluate is what you were saying. Right? That's gonna that's gonna come from the top. 
That yep. can't come from a fish. A fish bio can make the suggestion, right? but that's got to come from the top. And what they're going to say is, hey, we have this revision. We'd like to remove this stocking source. And what their boss is going to say is, is anyone fishing for them? They're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, okay, it's staying. Because you've got to keep people fishing to make money. Exactly. If you don't have people fishing, yeah, you can't make money. And which... Brings me to a question that I know that you wanted to ask me is why aren't we promoting more species then? Right. Because pike, bass, muskie, these are, Maine has some phenomenal warm water fisheries. Yeah. I mean, the, the. Lefty, sm- Lefty Cray said he liked to come here out of anywhere in the country to fish for smallmouth, right? Like that's quoted. It, right. You and, know? you know, Lefty's a, a legend. Right. You know? He's a legend. And so. Smallmouth fishing in Maine, I think, is should be world renowned. I mean, it is so good. If right. you've ever done it, and I know you have, and oh, yeah. people who are listening, they've done it. They know they're huge. They yeah. fight incredibly hard. Right. And they're so aggressive. Yeah. Like, you know, and you can you can have hundred fish days. Like, you if can. you go, easy. they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah, and but they're so, not. But the other thing I'll say about smallmouth though is. They're also not necessarily always easy to catch, right? Like right. Yeah. you can go out and have one of those yeah. days where you catch like sixty of them, yeah. and the next day you get you put like ten in the right. boat, and you're like, "What the heck's what going happened? on?" Yeah, yeah. They, are, they can be a challenge at times. Yeah. They can be, which yeah. which I respect about it because yes. it's not. If it was too easy, no one mm-hmm. would want to do yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's not always, you know, and it's, so it's cool. I, I have no idea, and I am still perplexed. And I my article in the Bangor Daily News, nope, just kidding. In Maine Sportsman, was I wrote an article for them and said, why are we not managing for trophy pike? Yeah. Because, so on sabatis, I'll give you an example of sabatis. Um, sabatis. That's not spot burning. Everyone knows sabatis pond yeah, or yeah, lake or whatever. Yeah. Literally with pike. thousands and thousands of people <laughs> yeah, go there. Right. <laughs> so pike have an interesting response. And uh, not the average angler wouldn't know this, but if you remove large individuals from the population, mm-hmm. they will begin to spawn at younger and younger ages. And interesting, right? That's so interesting, yeah. When everyone, right, and probably not a lot of people know that. And a, a lot of fish exhibit this behavior. Yeah. Um, bass do, pickerel do, pike do. And so if you're just removing, so right now, the, you know, basically it's the kill all right. on Sabatis. And yeah. they have the derby there and literally thousands of fish are killed. Yep. You're not... You're you're making more pike by taking the big ones out. You're actually making it harder to get rid of them because sure. younger and younger ones are going to spawn. And the majority of the population is in a young age class. Right. But for like that lake, that's a good thing, right? Because people want more. Like that's just well known as a pike. Yes. Lake. So, so like... let's change. Let's change it from a kill all there. Right. To you can only keep one over thirty six. Yep. None between twenty four and thirty six. Keep as many as you want under 24. Right. Now, you have a trophy fishery in Sabatis where you can legitimately go during certain times of the year because there's a pretty bad algal bloom there. Mm -hmm. But in the spring and fall and in the winter, you can go there and catch a 40-inch pike. Yep. Isn't that like... Everybody wants. Who doesn't want that? Right. That's how you make money. You don't go pike fishing and catch like a 20-inch pike. Right, exactly. And if you go and fish Sabatis, which I fish it all the time in the spring... You catch a zillion pike, right. but most of them are hammer handles. You know yep. they fight, and it's great fun on a six weight. But like, 
how cool would it be to go and catch a 40-inch pike there? Right. You know? Now, if those were trout, if those are trout, right, mm-hmm. what's the state doing then? Like, they're they're all over that, right? They're all, I mean, they're... It's managed differently. They're all over it. Yeah. And it's like, there's more pike anglers than there are trout anglers. Right. And I am like, you know, in, w- true. in Wisconsin, um, I found out that on opening day of pike season, over a million people will be fishing. Insane. It's insane because yeah. pike are big. They're toothy predators. Right. They're cool. They're aggressive. Like they're fun fish. So they're in Sabatis. They're in the Androscoggin. They're in other places. We're never going to get rid of them unless you chemically reclaim the lake. Right. There's no chance of you getting rid of them. So why are we not trying to manage them? In their management plan, IFNW's management plan, it says we are trying to manage, we're going to change our management. This was, whatever, three years ago or something. We're going to try to manage for Trophy Pike. Yet there's been no change in management. Right. And it's like, so why are you putting that in there? Yeah. Why are you doing that? And they also say in there, there will be no stocking of non-native species. It says it right in there. But they stock brown trout and rainbow trout all over the state. Yeah, those are not native. And it's like, what are you doing? So they're sending, right. what, what upsets me about it, is they're not promoting some of our best fisheries. Yeah. And they're also sending me mixed messages as far as their management plans. Sure. That is upsetting. That is something that can be addressed. And it happens not just with pike. It happens with bass and right. crappie and all these things. So it's like we have some of the best smallmouth fishing in the United States as far as I'm concerned. We have great largemouth bass lakes you know if you want to get into that and we have tremendous pike and musky oh my god that was just a wild experience but we have you know in northern maine who could use like the very very northernmost maine who could use that promotion they could use the economic they can boom, use you know? all the economic yeah. boom they can get people come in st lodges hiring the guides right like, you know and absolutely. it's like why why aren't we promoting that you right. know I, I don't know maybe it's because we have that stigma that intrinsic value on brook trout and salmon and like that's why fisheries biologists are pushing that but yeah for me it's like man i would be pushing pike i would be managing managing the hell out of them to make a trophy pike sure you know fishery for sure so yeah so yeah i i I can't figure it out i'm sure it's behind the stigma of it like oh pike are bad you know so right we shouldn't promote them. Well, but. they're they're killing the traditional game fish that people love to right. to catch and eat, you know. Right. And, and it's like as as long as they're contained, I agree they should not be put. Don't don't twist my words at all. I don't want them anywhere else. Yeah. Wherever they are right now, that's it. I don't right. want them anywhere else because nope. they don't belong here and they are terribly destructive. But in the places that they are here, Belgrades, Sabatis, you know, these are really well known spots. Manage them. Right. For huge pike. Yeah, man. What Why? What do you have to lose? You know, right. you're just killing all of them. That's like, you're just killing all of them. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I see it as a wasted gold mine. It's a gold mine. People right. would really like, so yeah. So I agree with you, man. That's part of why I'm doing the show. Like, I really want to get yeah. some of these other species out there that people are just killing. You know, they always talk about muskie is the, mm. you know, the fish of 10,000 casts. But in Maine, it's more like, I don't know, what, the fish of 1,000 casts? Yeah. You know, mm. it's it's... That's cool to me that we have that here, but yet people go to the Midwest and fish for them all the time. And it's like, listen, we got those same fish right here. Right. And there's not a lot of people coming here to fish for them. There's right. not a lot of people in Maine who actually fish for them, yeah. you know? And it's crazy. It I, really I do I do look at IFNW though as like a kind of a necessary evil in a way because if they're stocking all these trout like in the coastal towns in the southern part of the state, 
it's kind of keeping people from going north mm-hmm. and kind of decimating those native, you know, populations. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So, point. so I look at it that way too, where I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't get mad at what they're doing. I don't like when they stock on top of wild fish. Mm-hmm. And I know there's some people that are feeling pretty strong about that. There's some groups out there right now yeah. that are pushing those things. And, but I, I don't think that happens as much as people think it does. You know, I think a lot of these places they stock are places that really just don't hold native populations and, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's like I kind of like it because Joe Schmo is going to get out after work. He's going to go catch his trout, yeah. you know, down the road, and he's going to go home instead of going up north and pulling yeah. 10 to 20 trout out, you know, on a trip and bringing yeah. those back. Yeah, you know, no, I, I agree. There, uh, Don't get me wrong. IFW is – they have a lot of problems and stuff, but they are – you're right. They're a necessary evil. They, they do are. a lot of work they that are. is just absolutely necessary that no one else can do. And yep. The issue is their political attachment. You know, they're run by the governor. That yeah. that's their ultimate boss. So it's like, you know, well, there's got to be money associated with it. Right. If it's going to so, get funding, it needs to be bringing in money too, right? And those right. are things that are exactly right. So yeah, that's so hard to mix, man. It's tough. It's yeah. tough, especially because taxpayer dollars are really funding it. Right. Your money. You. You and I are really paying. Right. For our fisheries. Right. That is what really frustrates me, and that's what I don't think people understand is how much of your money is actually going to fisheries (laughs) and yet you have almost no say right that's sort of a problem that's kind of a problem whenever i've reached out to biologists about it about an area or something they always are are and i'm not blaming these guys like they're they're guys that are passionate about it they're there for the reason but they also know like you said earlier that they have to think money over fish right they and they have to and whenever I talk to them, though, they just point me to, like, the management plan for that yeah. fishery. You and know, those management water. plans are... They're sometimes not, they're obsolete. Sometimes they're not being followed, yeah, you know, or, or whatever, but... They're they're not great. Yeah. They're not great. Yeah. No, one's, no one's asking the state to, like, you know, admit your faults and yes. all this stuff. But it's, like, start start kind of putting that money towards mm-hmm. other things other yeah. than what you've just been keep doing over and yes. over and over. Let's promote a little change. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's get an let's get an economic boost to yeah. Maine, right? Yeah. For fishing, not just for brook trout and salmon, like yeah. other other species. You know? Personally, I think they should privatize more, a lot more than they do. And the fish bios are great, but a lot of them are not really qualified to be doing proper research. Sure. They just don't have the education. They don't have the experience. And you know, you get your bachelors and you go be a fish bio you know and you trap net and you see oh you do creel surveys and see oh people are catching fish that's good let's keep doing but if you privatize it you can get people who know how to conduct proper studies and really give you informed insight and that's something that ifmw is really lacking is a is help from someone who has no association with the state at all Right. An unbiased opinion who has no affiliation with any economic department or any, uh, you know, intrinsic department. Just they're coming in and this is what's happening. They get paid, they do their job, and yep. then they go on their way. And we don't have... Are other states doing that? Yes. Out West yeah. is doing that. And Canada does that because yep. Canada, Canada does a great job, obviously, because they love everyone and they're like the nicest people of all time. <laughs> so they're just like, come on, everyone, come on and, you know, do whatever you want to do. And so it's like... If we were to, we would never do that though, because that's not the main way. It's like an outsider, you know, and, and they might tell us something that is against our traditions and yep. we might have to change the way we manage our waters. And 
it's like, man, I, I wish that they would hire sort of privatized, unbiased, unrelated groups to come in and do studies on our major waters. Yep. The West Branch, the Rapids, the Galloway, you know, the Rangeley region. Grand Lake Stream. Let me look at Grand Lake Stream. How many people love Grand Lake Stream and how many people hate Grand Lake Stream? Right. It's like it has some of the biggest salmon, landlocked salmon, you know, in the United States right there. Right. Why do so many people hate it? Right. It's like it shouldn't be there. Because they're frustrated by exactly. fish well a lot of the time. Lot, people exactly, want to be there. You know? Exactly. So it's like Not why, everybody wants to be out there April 1st in the snow right. and the like, ice. <laughs> why is that happening? Right. And why haven't we fixed it? Because it's super easy to, like, it's not that hard to fix. So it's like, man, it, it's just, yeah. So Yeah, I, that's what I guess what I said earlier, which seems like they, they're just keeping the repeat button and the same yeah, thing over and sure. over and over. And sure. But they're not, you know, they're obviously making money off it. Yep. The state is still floating. Our fish are still swimming. Yep. So it's like, basically, what I see Maine is falling behind, especially the West Coast. And this is one of the reasons why it's tough to promote Maine is because the West Coast is doing all this advancement for their fishery and they're promoting it. So you and I know how much conservation is going into the West Coast and like the Elwha. Like I don't know anything about it, but I know that they're doing conservation for their fisheries and they're trying to bring their salmon back. Right, and you and, live all the way in Maine. Right, and, and I don't know. <laughs> and like, I've heard this and I'm right, not like looking for it. Right, I'm not even looking for it. Right. How many people out West have heard of conservation for our trout and salmon in Maine? <laughs> None. No, it's like it's right, and so there. that's the point. You're not pushing it. Maine doesn't want to push it because, because yep. I think that they're fearful. Of, they they don't really have anything to push. Our salmon, our Atlantic salmon, but those are not doing great. Like we're getting excited about a no, thousand. And that's a multi-country thing too. Right. That's so Canada. That's that's you know Europe. And, yeah. And the thing with our West too is like some of those places they just don't have the dams that we have here right. from our. You know we we have the logging history here. Yeah. We have so many dams yeah. and. Well, they and out like out west, like we were. You know, we were the first one when we took the Edmonds Dam and VZ Dam and yep. all these things, but like the West has f- continued that effort so right. they are taking out dams all over the place and sure. they're and not only that but they're improving fish habitat and they're studying it so they're not just doing it like oh let's put pine trees in the river and hope that yep. helps they're testing it out on a river really thoroughly testing it for three to five years and then they're implementing it's it cool. if it's success and it's super cool and but cool. people out west are they are they're way more laid back than we are as far as yeah. management they're yeah. They have more money, they have more freedom, they have less, you know, people there. If you were to say to people in Maine, just imagine this, you can't fish Sebago for three years, what would happen? Oh my gosh. The, the, the world would burn down. Yeah. The world would literally yeah. Us burn Us Mainers down. like to get angry. Right. So, yeah, well, <laughs> out you west, mess with our stuff, we don't like change. You know, too much. out west, if they were like, you know, hey, you have to shut this river down for three years, they'd be like, hmm, okay. Right. I'm okay. I, I it sucks, but really I understand good. right. And yeah. so it's <laughs> it's, it's a different lifestyle. Yeah, it really is. And so yeah, my mom would my mom would call Mainers just old stick in the muds. Essentially, you know. Yeah. So I'm hoping <laughs> in awesome. the you know I I'm hoping that something changes moving forward. We have a different governor now. We have a different commissioner now. Yeah. Who the the new commissioner? She seems to be much 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 more. Um, like progressive, yeah, and more qualified than Woodcock. Woodcock yeah. was a, he was a politician, yeah. and him and LePage were kind of friends, and you know they knew each other, and 
So they were sort of buddy-buddy where the new the new commissioner, she has so much experience. She's really, really qualified. I'm yep. forgetting her name right now, but she... Judy Camuso. Yes, she seems to be much more qualified. So I'm hoping that she makes these informed decisions because she knows if we if she was here right now, she would... Maybe I'll get her on the show. She would agree. Maybe, maybe, if you do, maybe I you're like in co-host. If you do, I would like to talk to her yep. because she... yeah. So For those of you listening, that would probably be a three-hour special. That would be a long show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We're rolling over an hour here, but this is great stuff. So. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, before we kind of get into the last segment, um, we're going to take a little commercial break here. Yeah. All right. Cool. This portion of the show is brought to you by Northwoods Fly Company, located in Durham, Maine. With 30 plus years of guiding and tying experience, let Northwoods Fly help you with all your fishing adventure needs. If you're in the market for high quality custom flies, guiding, or tying lessons, you can find them on the web at northwoodsfly.com or follow them on Instagram at n.w.flyco. I'm back here with Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys. Uh, have you seen some of the flies in Nate White of uh, Northwoods Fly Company ties? I mean, I feel like they're so unique, and I love the nymphs that he ties up. They're he, awesome. He just tied a fox game changer that blows my mind. I put it on my story, and you can check it out on his Instagram page. It's it's one of the best game changers I've ever seen, and if you're a warm water predatory fisherman, you should reach out to him for it because they are truly, truly, you know, high class. Like you cannot find them elsewhere. I mean, it's just it's it's so unique, and the flies are so impressive. I just I can't I couldn't pitch him enough. I really couldn't. That's pretty awesome. I I what he does is not what you find in your standard fly no, shops. You not know? even close. So. Um, I know you do a bunch of tying, obviously, that's part of main Fly Guys, but yes. do you do any tying for any shops? I do not tie for any shops. I don't have any desire to do that. What I do is basically take custom orders through Instagram, YouTube, and, you know, people reach out to me, you know, pretty frequently, once a week, twice a week, a couple of new people looking for flies, and what they're looking for are flies that they can not find anywhere else. Yeah. That's what I specialize in is tying flies that you cannot find or is something that you've come up with your head but you don't have the skills to tie your own flies. That is what I specialize in. So if anyone listening has an idea of something that they can't find or that they want to make, please feel free to reach out. That is really the only fly tying that I do. Yeah. Is custom really really highly highly custom flies that you cannot buy. You can't buy. That's what I like to do. And so it's awesome. Know, I tie a bunch of flies and I like tying flies and all kinds and I tie a bunch for myself and whatever. But my favorite flies to tie that I have the most interest in are the ones that I have yet to tie. I just had a customer reach out and they saw a pike fly that I tied and posted and they wanted to turn it into an ice fishing jig. <laughs> and yeah, it was super. That's awesome. Uh, it was awesome. It was a fun, fun project. And yep. so he ordered half a dozen of them. I got one sixteenth ounce jigs and we tied it up and they look awesome and they look super cool and he's gonna slam big lake trout on it i'm positive of that so you know uh the the fly that i haven't tied is my favorite and i would highly suggest if people aren't satisfied or they can't find something please feel free to reach out that's that's what i would like for people to do yeah Yeah, and for those of you listening like i actually did that with greg a couple weeks ago i came to him with a fly that i've been thinking about 
tying, but I couldn't find the right way to tie it. And he came to me with uh, tonight, actually, there's a recording. He came with three different prototypes, and um, I really like two of them. And then I'm going to have him just tie me a bunch of the, the ones that I really like a lot. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take like three dozen. <laughs> they'll go. They'll go yeah. for sure. So yeah. uh, do you tie every day? I It depends. It really depends. Some weeks, you know, with, with work and stuff, you can get busy. And so I, I don't tie every day. But like this week, I've, I'm part of a giveaway. I'm doing a bunch of uh, different fly projects. I probably tied couple hundred flies this week already so nice man yeah it's i i'm not a huge fan of that because i can't do some guys can sit down and they can tie the same pattern over and over and over and i cannot i just i've come to accept it i can't do that i just cannot so what i like to do is tie you know a dozen at a time you know at the most a dozen is the most and then i that's like my brain power limit is a dozen so um but i you know on my off time, like if I'm just sitting around watching TV, uh, I'll tie. I'll nice. tie. So yeah, I, I do quite a bit, and uh, I'm not a traditionalist. I do not tie traditional patterns, cool. not even close. So I never, ever, ever do. I don't have any super, super maybe caddis. My caddis are kind of traditional, but I might start fishing them like the ones you wanted because those are pretty cool. <laughs> to be honest, so. yeah. Don't tell. Don't tell my You're secret. Right. I, won't, I won't tell anyone. I. I uh, <laughs> I think this is going to be a game changer for sure. Yeah. So awesome. Um, let's kind of go to the last segment um, and let's talk about what Maine Fly Guys does, like educating people. So let's let's talk a little bit about like catch and release and um, like if I'm new to fly fishing or even if I'm not new to fly fishing, what are some like, what are, what are some ways that, you know, how should I handle fish properly? Like what are some techniques I should have and whether it's bass or trout or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's different for each fish, for sure, and it's different for each time of the year. But one thing that really stuck with me, I asked a question to the community about what's your best catch and release tip. And I had something like 250 responses from Holy people. Cow. Yeah, it was tremendous input. That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, Megan Hess, um, she's a biologist, I think, for the state. She's up north, I think. But... Um, She's actually reached out to me about being on the show. She, I'm going to get her on here. She's really, really smart. And what she told me really stuck out with me, and I haven't heard it. And she said, the amount of time that the fish spends out of the water holds your breath. If you have to breathe again and the fish is not back in the water, you have made a mistake. And I was like, huh. So I tried it yep. the other day, and it's about a minute. It's about a minute. That's about how long you can hold your breath without right. feeling uncomfortable. And that's you. That's you, like anticipating holding your breath, not like right, just out right, of surprise. Right. right. Cool. And yeah. so that really stuck with me, and I thought that was a great tip. And I've been telling a bunch of people, so thank you, Megan, for that tip because it's true. People find themselves holding the fish out of water, and that is like the biggest factor of, you know, is this fish going to be all right after you release it? Is it not? Is right. How much time is it spent out of the water? Because that is incredibly stressful. Fish are not made, they're not biologically made to spend time out of the water for more than a second, (laughs) right? So when you're dealing with a fish, keep it in the water as much as possible is essentially the tip. That's the number one catch and release tip of all time is just when you're taking the hook out, Keep the fish in the water. You can right. still grab it underneath the water. Like yeah, keep we it, have great nets these right, days. Right. Rubber nets. Rubber it's easy nets, to get right. stuff out. Um, the other thing is, if you want to take a picture with it, it's okay 
to leave your fish in the net. All right. You don't need to hold on to it right. while you're fuddling for your camera or while someone else is waiting. Keep it in the net. Keep it wet. Keep it in the water. You want to take a picture? I have no problem with that. I take yeah. pictures of oh, fish all, all the time, it. right? So keep it wet. Grab it. Take a picture. If it doesn't work out the first time, that's it. Put the fish back. Yeah. I see a lot of people, you have a fish flop or something, you yeah. know, and then people are like, oh, they try to re-net it and re-take a picture of it. No. That's right. that's it. You get one choice. So <laughs> mi- minimize. Oh, the fish god's going to be nice right, to you. Exactly not, right, exactly right. You. you might not catch a single fish after that. So right. keep them wet and yep. minimize how much you're handling them. Yep. The other thing is barbless. I know there's been a lot of studies come out. I think that they're very poorly done, the studies on barbless versus barbed hooks. I think that the studies themselves are not done at the highest level. Anyone who's fished barbless hooks know that you almost never have to even touch the fish to take the hook out. A lot of the times, yeah. A lot of the yeah. times, you, you net it, and it just pops out. I, even, I get surprised, though, sometimes. Like, brook trout have, like, they got some teeth, right? They got some gnarly and teeth. And, like, mm-hmm. even the barbless hooks are hard to get out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... it's A lot easier than... But it's easier than a barbed barb- I wouldn't know, because right. I don't fish barbed hooks right. on those waters. Right. I just... I wouldn't exactly, know. Exactly, right. They're barbless, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, I would say go all barbless. Because in those studies that have compared barb to barbless, they show that the number one sort of cause of fish death is one, damage done by deep hooking, and two, by amount of time handling the fish. Those are the number two killers of fish during catch and release. uh, Barbless hooks reduce the time of fish handling, Mm -hmm. and they're also easier and less uh less damaging when yep. hooked deeper right you typically with barbless hooks you don't get that bloody mess like you can with the barb hook that you right. might get in a gill or something like that yeah you're tearing stuff out yeah so i think that barbless hooks is a huge catch and release practice they should i think they should make all i don't think they should make barbed yeah. hooks period I, well, I don't. and what's funny you say that is i think i think some people think well if it's barbless i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hook in as many keep as many and i've I've literally had this conversation with people who guide full time, you know, in the West, like in Montana and stuff. Yeah. And they say they see no difference in the hookup rates. I see none. I don't see yeah. any. Yeah. I don't think that I lose any more fish. I don't think I catch any more fish. Right. I think everything is the exact same. The only thing that's different is I spend less time holding on to the fish. Yep. And there's less damage in the mouth when I take it out. Right. Those are the only two differences that I notice. So. I bar I'm barbless everything. I adamantly push barbless for everyone out there. So keep them wet, minimize your handling time, and go barbless. I'd say those are my three biggest uh, sort of catch and release yep. um, things. You know, um, as far as different times of the year, gear selection is such a big one that people people are out there for the fight. So they might go with really light tackle. Yep. You know, and it's like in the summertime. You know, that's a no-no. You can't do that. Yeah, you know? like you're running 6X tippet right. for a big trout exactly. or whatever. And it's... you're just going to exhaust them to the point where they can't yeah. even swim where they want to swim to get, you know. And this is a na- that's a national issue. Like, you read about yes. that, right, across yep. the country. Yep. And that's everywhere. People talk about yep. that. So, you know, in the spring and fall, cooler temps, optimal temps, you know, you, know, you want to go a little lighter, maybe get a little more sport out of it. Yep. Maybe. But summertime or times of stress when you're chasing fish, if you want to fish... Okay, that's fine. There's a proper way to do it. 
heavy tackle. Yeah. Get him in quick. You can go ahead and catch fish. Get him in quick. Low handling time. Put him back. Yep. You know. And that that these are mostly salmonid tips. Whereas for pike, you know, they're pretty rough. It's tough to like mishandle a pike. I see people grab them by the eyes sometimes. Don't do that. That's just that's interesting. That's, I see it all the time. They grab it from the top and they grab it from the eyes. Like the oh. eye sucks. I don't want to get bit. Don't do that. That's yeah. that's not good. Don't do that. But what about grabbing their gills? Gills, if you can slide your hand. So for pike, yeah. trout, no, okay, absolutely no, not, right, right. absolutely not. Salmon, absolutely not. Pike are very very hardy. Same thing. Uh, yeah, I guess pike and, and bass. But if you can get your hand underneath the gill plate, so they have that gill plate. Yeah. Without touching the gill, which is possible in the larger pike, it is possible. Feel free. They are fine. You're not you're not obstructing as long as you're not holding them up by the gill plate. So you need two hands for that. Right. So you have to support the lower body with one hand and then you can have your hand in the gill plate with the other hand to support the head. That's fine. Totally yeah. fine. What keeps your fingers from getting chewed up? Right. That's totally You're not fine. using the big pliers yeah, or the just that's fine. As long as you're not in the gill. If you catch a gill, don't don't do the smaller pike and smaller fish, you can't really do it because your fingers will catch the gill, but the bigger sure. ones you can do it for sure. Same thing with bass. I see people grab them by the lip and just hold it out where they're just holding it by the lip and they're trying to keep it horizontal. Yeah. You know, and that's putting so much stress on their jaw. Right. Their, their maxillary plates, they, they pretty much, you're pretty much breaking their jaw. And so their ability to yep. catch food is lessened and you're really putting a damper on their ability to grow. So it's funny. I saw some education about that like a couple of years ago. But before that, it was always like, yeah, it's bass. Like right, grab my other lip. You right. know, everybody got your, yeah. your lips all, your uh, thumbs all cut up at the end of the day. Yeah, right. Teeth or whatever. Right. But it's like, no, you've got yeah. to support because their jaws, are, again, they're not, they're not physiological, yep. you know, machines they can break too right. you know so well i think it's time to let people know you know bass bass lives matter right <laughs> they do. bass lives matter oh even if <laughs> ifnw doesn't care about them we, we care about them we should everyone we should. should care about them they're fish you know like i hate the biggest oh man it makes me so mad is when people have different views on a fish for being a fish and it, it's it's like fish racism almost to a point. And I know <laughs> it's very high in the fly it, fishing community. It's, it is like you look, people look down at a bass and it's like, why? Right. Because it's a bass. Because right. it's not as hard, you know, it's, it's not as hard to catch as a salmon. Like, so you're treating it with a different level of respect. That's all Brad Pitt's fault. Because, <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> only the salmon, only the, right. And so I hate that. Pike yeah. too, people just chuck them around. It's like, it's like, this is, the pike is at not at fault here, you know? And so for people practicing good catch and release, my, one of the biggest things that I would say is treat every fish the same. Yeah. There is no fish that's better than another one. There's no fish that is more likable than the other one. They're all just fish, you know, sure. they're all fish. So treat them all the same. Don't, don't take liberties with a warm water fish just cause it's a warm water fish, right. you know? Don't take liberties. That's that's not up to you. That's not for you to decide. All fish want to live. They don't, you know, they don't want to be caught. They don't they just want to live. So treat them with respect. Handle them well. Handle them like you care about them. And, you know, put them back. Let them go on their their merry way. Nice. You know? 
I like it. I love it. I, that's a, I think that's a great uh, part to end the show on. So, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, if you if you want to check out Mean Fly Guys, go to Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Type in Mean Fly Guys, and you will find Greg and some of his awesome work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Main Fly Fishing Podcast. 